college can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today on the Huddle Up Podcast, we are breaking down the Denver Broncos' 42-17 utter demolition of the Dallas Cowboys. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. It's what we talk about all week, okay? The plan was flawless, okay? You guys nailed it that way, and the effort was outstanding. When we're on and we're right, man, we're going to be tough to beat, okay? But that being said, guess what? This feeling is not what? It's not final. Success is not final. It's not final. Game ball, okay? One right now, it'll probably be 10 more tomorrow, man. Icing it. Dallas guys. Broncos on three. One, two, three. Broncos! Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It is time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, how are, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look yet, but how are those NFL power rankings looking? I mean, it's uh, today I've been so busy that I haven't had a chance to see if the national guys have uh, eaten their orange crow yet. Yeah, so I was kind of surprised, and I tweeted this out on our official Twitter account. But after the Chargers win on Monday night, ESPN dropped the Broncos from, I think it was maybe like 11 to 15 in their power rankings. Yeah. Which, um, I don't know if anybody saw the game on Monday night, but the Broncos actually won. (laughs) So, you know, not typically common practice to drop a team after they do win a game. But I would imagine that... If the Chargers win, cost them four spots, they have to be at least like 28 or 29 after that Cowboys win. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's uh, it's been juicy. I'm sure even this week, getting farther into it, uh, to see these the basically just the national guys who weren't giving the Broncos any love right. start coming around a little bit because that was as an authoritative of a win as I've seen in many, many moons. Well... Right, and so I was kind of following Skip Bayless during the game, which you might ask ask me, why would you ever do that? And I would answer, I don't know, why would you why would you click on like one of those Buzzfeed Buzzfeed articles that says here's 46 reasons um, <laughs> that you should go to bed at like 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. instead of like 9 p.m. Right, and it's it's really terrible. Um, and I ended up going on to Fox Sports this morning to watch a little bit of Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. Mm. And 
a complete waste of 30 minutes that I'll never get back in my life. But sometimes the national guys come around and sometimes they admit when they're wrong and other times uh, they just double back around and make uh, some of the more impressive excuses that I've ever heard. So Skip Bayless, I think a master at pulling excuses out of uh, every orifice of his body. Um, so I, I'm just I'm excited to see the Broncos keep winning and, and him coming up with new ways to uh, discredit them. Absolutely. Well, we have a lot to get to today, and I'm a little bit under the weather, so bear with me. Uh, but first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. It's totally recreational, and there are all kinds of prizes. In today's climate, the fantasy industries have made watching football a lot more interesting, so go to MyBookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Now, Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow without your help. Every week, we ask you to rate the show and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher, and there's a big reason for it. Helps us grow, helps us reach the new listeners, and we love that you are listening. We love that you are subscribing. We appreciate you. But if you haven't, take a second and go leave a review on the show. Rate the show, whether you're an iTunes user or a Stitcher. We appreciate it, and here, I think at the end of the week, we are going to announce the winner of the most creative review that gets a uh, Mile High Huddle VIP membership complimentary. So, appreciate you. Now, follow the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and at Mile High Huddle. Also, take a second, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Mile High Huddle on Facebook. From now until January or February, if we're lucky, Broncos football is officially back and we're rolling. And we're going to be dropping knowledge several times a week. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. Again, that was an absolutely beautiful victory, Broncos country. Heading into week two, as home dogs, your Denver Broncos took that two-and-a-half-point knock personally. They took all the Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott praise personally because the Broncos didn't just beat the Cowboys. They absolutely curb-stomped them. They embarrassed Jerry Jones and his team. And the game was never really in doubt, despite the football gods blessing the Cowboys with an hour-long game stoppage due to lightning and inclement weather. The Broncos had all the momentum as time was running out in the first quarter, and the Cowboys were on their heels both figuratively and literally, and the game stoppage basically allowed them a brief sliver of daylight to make a stab back into some semblance of uh, you know competitive edge. The two teams retook the field, and it didn't take long for lightning to strike for the Cowboys' defense, as Demarcus Lawrence beat Menelik Watson, strip sack Trevor Simeon. Cowboys punched it in. There was a brief moment there. It looked like Prescott might lead them back into this thing, but it wasn't meant to be. The Cowboys' vaunted offensive line, which, I remind you, boasts three all-pros, could not get any push in the running game, couldn't protect Prescott. And we're going to get into the finer details uh, of the game, of course. But, Will, you know, I picked the Broncos to win this game. I can't tell you how many uh, fans reached out on social media to tell me that, you know, I was up in the night. Great intentions, very cute, they said, but but up in the night. Something just told me, all, all it really came down to was something told me that Vance Joseph was going to have his team ready to go, that something definitive would transpire for the Broncos in Week 2. I even met, uh, made a bet with our friend Nick Kendall. Right. I won. I was right. 
Now, when it comes to football prognostication, I'll take it because I don't have great luck in this department, and it isn't easy uh, to see around the corner with football. But, wow, what a win. Will, your gut reaction to Denver's dominance? Yeah, so I'd be lying if I said that I was expecting the Broncos to win in that fashion. Um, I think on on the official Pick'em article, I actually picked the Cowboys by a few points. So I would just like to say, first of all, you were right. I was wrong. Nana, nana, nana. Well, what, and one so thing, forth. I didn't expect that either. When I say definitive, I just really meant beating a right. a, a team that's a contender. I felt that that was coming. Not I. I don't think anybody saw. I agree with you. Nobody no. saw that kind of curb stomp. But you did have uh, you did have the conviction to say the Broncos would win. And you know, I think a lot of us get that sense that in a big home game, the Broncos are going to come out on top more often than not. And it probably is a good idea to pick them if they're playing against, especially a big NFC, a big time NFC opponent coming into Denver where they're not very familiar with the, with the crowd, with the altitude and what it takes to win there. I think the Broncos have the advantage way more often than not. But, you know, like I said, I wasn't expecting it, but I kind of wrote about in the three keys to the game article that the best case scenario for the Broncos in this game was you can't let the Cowboys score first, and they check that box because they stopped them on the opening drive when they kicked off to them. You have to grab an early lead, which they did. They, they marched down the field, and then Trevor Simeon hit Emmanuel Sanders for that touchdown. And then basically you have to hang on to that lead and make it so the Cowboys have to throw themselves back into the game, and that's, that's absolutely their weakness. And it proved that if they follow that formula, which they did, the Cowboys really don't have an answer, and they didn't. And we saw what the final score indicated, 42-17. I don't know if the Broncos are really that much better than the Cowboys, but everything worked out for them, and, and that was the result. I think the biggest difference, really, when you look at these two teams is defense. I mean, both uh, both teams have young quarterbacks. Both teams have uh, relatively young and talented running backs, some talent at the skill positions. Broncos offensive line, you know, they're on the up. Cowboys offensive line, they're they're typically dominant, three all pros again. But when it comes to the defense, I mean, obviously the Cowboys were uh, were decimated in their secondary, but they just didn't have what it took in the front seven. You know, bottom line is when you compare right. these two teams, where do where where's that point of demarcation? And really, just comes down to defensive talent, where the Broncos have really invested a lot of their money. Well, we saw how contingent the Cowboys' defensive success is on their offense and the Cowboys actually had the number one ranked run defense in the NFL last year but a lot of that is to do has to do with how well they possess the ball on offense right handing it off to Zeke Elliott for four yards a run and then chewing time off the clock and getting the and lead then, right they get the lead early and and so teams are basically forced like the Broncos did to the Cowboys yesterday to throw themselves back into the game so you're not going to get much on the ground and if they, if they, if the circumstances aren't right and the Cowboys defense doesn't get a lead and they, they kind of have to protect and they have to stop stop the uh, the gap from widening anymore and they can't just play pure pass and rush the passer every down, they're in trouble. And their linebackers are good, but they're they're mostly suited for pass coverage, thinking about guys like Sean Lee and then even Jalen Smith, who I think's actually played pretty well in the first couple of weeks, but it's not a team that's 
that's designed to come from behind, and, and the Broncos definitely exposed that yesterday. Absolutely. You know, one of the most frustrating aspects of the Broncos' offense during the previous two seasons, we've talked about it time and time again on the show, was their inability to stay on the field, convert on third down. The Broncos uh, were able to shoulder the burden, the defense, uh, during the Super Bowl season. But last year, all that time spent on the field finally wore them down. We saw them uh, fall from third ranking against the run to 28th in 2016. And I think that was a big reason why all the time they spent on the field. Now, going into this season, we knew that if the Broncos were going to compete, they'd have to turn the ship around offensively and not just score points, but stay on the field and keep their defense fresh. Through two games, it's safe to say the proof is in the pudding. After converting more than 50% on the money down last week against the Chargers, the Broncos went 9 of 15 against the Cowboys. They ran the ball uh, very well behind the Broncos' O-line to the tune of 178 yards with, of course, C.J. Anderson leading the way, 25 carries, 118 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Jamal Charles was excellent in relief of Anderson, finishing with actually a better yards per carry average of 5.1 to C.J.'s very solid uh, 4.7. Charles carried the ball nine times, ultimately for 46 yards, and Trevor Simeon chipped in with some well-timed scrambles as well, even picking up a first down with his legs. This offense, from a tactical and an execution perspective, were as dominant as it gets. Mike McCoy, I mean, I'm telling you, this guy was in the zone, called an inspired game, absolutely. The Broncos didn't even punt to yeah. the fourth quarter, Will, and we'll break down Trevor Simeon's performance here in a few minutes, but the Broncos are just getting it done offensively in every facet. I mean, in the red zone against Dallas, they went a perfect four for four. Four trips inside the 20, four touchdowns, Will. And to think that it would it actually would have been five for five if that C.J. Anderson touchdown run was about three yards closer because that was a 23-yard touchdown run. They are approaching the red zone there. But I think you have to credit, like you said, Mike McCoy – for drawing up some plays that that get receivers separation in the red zone, which is such a rare commodity. I'm thinking about those two bootlegs where where Simeon fakes left and then rolls right, right. finds uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and then another really well-designed play, which was Simeon's fourth touchdown pass, the play where I think uh, Virgil Green lined up next to the left tackle, I believe, and then Simeon fakes it again to the left, Green comes across the formation and is wide open on the right side and takes it in for another easy touchdown. Yep. So credit McCoy for, for drawing up some really creative plays in the red zone. And then on that first touchdown, I think that's that's pretty much all Trevor Simeon because he manipulated the, the Cowboys defense with his eyes, saw that uh, he, faked, he faked the ball. It almost looked like a broken play. And I know Joe Buck on the broadcast called it a broken play, but – he fakes to basically nobody. Anderson goes right, and I think he fakes left. But Sanders runs that post, and he, he kind of staggers it a little bit where he, he kind of goes slow through the first part of the route and then really turns it on right as he's approaching, um, I think, that, that left upright, which he was probably aiming for. But Simeon did a good job of looking off Sean Lee. And then finally when he threw it, he, he threw it just with enough touch and enough velocity, which – I think that's one of the best throws I've seen from Trevor Simeon so far. And that was. That, you know, I think that's a big reason for their success in the red zone yesterday. Absolutely. You know, talking about converting, maybe we need to convert quarterback watch into Trevor Simeon watch because he was – Oh, I think so. Just – he laid absolute claim to the starting job uh, in Denver. I mean, obviously, name the starter, no, no issue there. What I mean, though, 
is this thing is his, and there's no looking back. There are a couple of bones to pick with Simeon, and we're going to get there. But first, let's talk about the good, and there was a lot of good. He tied a career high throwing four touchdowns. Now, this match, or this uh, match the mark, I should say, set on the road in week three, I believe it was, last year in Cincinnati. Simeon on Sunday finished 22 of 32, 231 yards, completed 68.7% of his throws, and earned an impressive 116 quarterback rating. He did throw uh, that one ill-advised interception. He did lose a fumble in the second quarter. Beyond the turnovers, though, which cannot continue, Simeon did show some improvement, in my opinion, in his pocket manipulation, but he still, there's one or two times he he tried to escape out the back of the pocket and uh, unfortunately took a sack in what would have been good field goal position. But anyway, if he can get the turnovers under control and be sharper, I think at times with his situational awareness, he would be at this point near perfect. I mean, I don't think the Broncos could be any happier with Simeon's performance through two weeks, all things considered. A third-year quarterback with the immense burden of leading a franchise. You know, he's a team captain. I'm telling you, though, if Simeon keeps it up, the Broncos would be remiss not to offer him an extension in season while the getting is relatively cheap. Will I know they still have him under contract one more year, but the longer he goes producing like this, the more games he wins the more he's going to understand what his value is and the more expensive he's going to become. Right. And to be completely honest, Trevor Simeon, he leads the league in touchdown passes right now with six. Obviously, um, I think Matt Stafford actually just tied it up as we speak. But to hold for a guy like Trevor Simeon to hold that mark after a couple weeks of play, I think is pretty impressive given the offensive turnover in the offseason. But, you know, he's playing at a Pro Bowl level right now. He's probably, through two weeks, a a top-five quarterback. And who knows if that's going to hold up? Probably not. And I think you'd be happy with him ending up at a top-12 level, definitely, after this start. But if you go back and look at the turnovers, and I'll, I'll differ with you a little bit because I don't think the fumble was necessarily his fault. I think Demarcus Lawrence basically put... Uh, Menelik Watson on skates and I don't know Simeon didn't really have a lot to work with on that play and then the interception uh, to I think it was Jordan Lewis for the Cowboys Mm -hmm. Uh, Demarius Thomas actually took responsibility for that after the game saying he was basically they were basically called the same play that won the Tim Tebow Pittsburgh Steelers playoff game back in 2011 where it was a little fake and then kind of a, a pin sort of post route Uh, from Thomas and for whatever reason Thomas kind of just like turned it back inside and he had single coverage going up over the top so if he had kept running his route he probably catches that ball and if he can break a tackle he he has a touchdown really because I don't think the I don't think the Cowboys had any safeties deep on that play especially with uh, the lead that they're trying to chip into at that point I think it was about 25 or so points but yeah so I don't think either of those were his fault necessarily but Talking about an extension, you know, I, I wrote about it over the offseason, talking about how much value it gives you in terms of a team-building perspective when you have a Pro Bowl-level quarterback, which I think Simeon is right now, a rookie contract. And not just a rookie contract, but a seventh-round pick right. contract, yeah. which is less than Paxton Lynch, who was not, to this point, suited up this season. I think he's making like 585 
585k this year, something like that. Right, and you know, of course, Trevor Simeon will make it up all in Skittles advertisements. <laughs> right, but but the Broncos are playing are paying in peanuts, and I, the time is now to win. And I think they're I think they know that, and I don't know how expensive Trevor Simeon will be, but if you have him under this you know this bargain type of contract you got to take advantage and you got to try to make a deep playoff run and i think they will um i think john elway probably learned a few lessons from the brock osweiler situation i guess we'll call it from a couple years ago and i think they're kind of twofold and it's kind of a contradiction but i'll lay it out for you but so the time to offer brock osweiler an extension probably would have been after that patriots game Mm mm-hmm because he was a fourth-year player at that point, obviously set to test free agency, and they didn't. And it ended up biting them in that Brock Osweiler didn't re-sign, and the Houston Texans offered him, I think, $2 million more a year. So I think financially that was a mistake to not offer Brock Osweiler the contract when they had the chance um, after that, whatever, Week 12 victory against the Patriots that we all remember. Yep. But at the same time, it was Brock Osweiler, and he had played what two two game two full games at that point in yeah. four years. I think that was uh, his second start, if I recall. Right. So the Trevor Simeon situation is different. He's played after yesterday. He's played a full sixteen games. He's got a ten and six record. He's thrown something like thirty eight hundred yards. I think. Um, right. Probably not exactly on the dot, but twenty four touchdowns to 12 interceptions, so you're looking at a 2-to-1 interception ratio in your first 16 full games as a seventh-round pick. So, you know, quite honestly, I think the time is now, and you're right, and I think you do offer him a contention. And if he keeps it up, especially, you know, in the the next few weeks, I think John Ola has got a a big decision to make, and, you know, I I think it's the right move. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the Broncos are going to let it play out a a couple more games at least and just see – if they if Simeon can sustain this level of performance, and I honestly think that he's going to, the the arrival of Mike McCoy and the influence that Bill Musgrave has had on him, I mean, he just looks like a guy who took that proverbial quantum leap between years two and three. And, you know, get him a couple more games under his belt, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Broncos just bite the bullet and get it done because the farther he goes, the more numbers he puts up, the more games he wins the more his value is going to rise. And why not just lock him up now when you could probably get him, you know, keep him on, give him a signing bonus that you can roll over into the next couple of years, keep him on his current number this year, um, but pay him something like 10, 12 million for three years and see where this thing goes. That Um, would still, even that would be such a huge bargain given what, you know, a run of the mill quarterbacks are making. So, yeah, I don't know if they get them at, at that cheap, but if they could, that would be probably the steal of the century. Right now, you might be able to do it because think of it from a percentage uh, aspect, what kind of raise that would be for him, plus being able to stick sure. around in Denver. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but uh, let's let's move on and talk about the Broncos' offensive line. As you iterated a minute ago, Menelik Watson, inconsistent once again, relinquishing five total pressures. I reached out to my guy at PFF. Two sacks, two QB hits, one hurry. Uh, Pro Football Focus graded him as the worst starting tackle in the league this week. 
uh, before uh, going into, of course, the Monday night games. He was that bad. So aside from him, though, it was mostly good stuff. Ronald Leary has still yet to surrender a QB pressure and pass protection. Matt Paradis doing the Matt Paradis thing. And the combo of Max Garcia and Alan Barber was clearly getting the job done at left guard. And then before he got hurt, Garrett Bowles was holding up well in pass protection and, and doing what he does in terms of moving people off the block in the running game. Bowles, of course, uh, left the game in the third quarter following a Jamal Charles goal line carry. And the injury looked bad. I think all of us were just sick, holding our breath. I mean, he was sobbing. His teammates were consoling him uh, he's, as he was getting carted off the field. It had all the optics of a season-ending injury, and I thought it was cool. Though, however, as uh, he was heading off the field, he finally collects himself, gives the crowd you know, some props as he was driven into the tunnel. But following the game, we heard reports that Denver feared it might be an Achilles injury. The first tests on Sunday night were inconclusive, and then Monday they came back uh, with fortunately a forgiving diagnosis. He has a deep bone bruise in his ankle and then, of course, a high ankle sprain. Early reports have Bulls missing a couple weeks. Coach Vance Joseph said he's week to week. Let's hope, here's how I look at it. Let's hope he's able to go in week six coming out of the bye. So missing two games, then you get the bye, and then hopefully back on track to start week six. But word of caution, high ankle sprains can be tricky. They can linger. But he's young. He's in great shape. So I'll remain optimistic. But when Bulls went down, Will, we all expected Donald Stevenson's number to get called, but it was Alan Barber, uh, the the 11th year pro. Broncos inserted Barber at left tackle, um, but at this point, Vance Joseph won't say whether the Broncos will stick with Barber on Simeon's blind side. Overall, though, as a unit, it was a scary moment with Bowles, Will. But the Broncos' offensive line, let's face it, they look better than Dallas's vaunted unit on Sunday. Yeah, no, I, I really can't argue with you there. The only thing I would say is. Obviously, the Cowboys had much tougher competition. I, I kind of shiver to think what would happen if the Broncos' offensive line had to play a full 60 minutes against the Broncos' defensive front. Yeah. With with Menelik Watson matched up against Vaughn Miller, I think we'd, we'd probably have to get the stretcher out for Trevor Simeon within about you know the first 10 minutes of the first quarter. On that note, real quick, Lyle Collins relinquished the most quarterback pressures uh, so far in Week 2. I think it was 12. Ooh, 12, 14, something like that. I can't recall quite yeah. exactly, but yeah, Von Miller had him on, on his heels. Yeah, I think it was about like maybe 11 or 12, and then Shaq Barrett was right behind him with maybe one or two less, which is pretty incredible if you think about what kind of one-two punches that. But, you know, we'll talk about that too with, with Shane Ray coming back and what that means for Shaq Barrett. But, you know, the pieces are, are coming together really, really nicely. And Garrett Bowles... He played pretty well against the Chargers. I know he let up one sack, and I think he had a holding penalty as well. But you have to keep in mind that's against guys like Melvin Ingram and, and Joey Bosa. And with a little, with a little, I don't want to say inferior, but competition that's not quite up to that level, he handled himself really well up until that injury. And, you know, I don't think he had a penalty, which is a good sign because that's kind of his weakness. Yeah. And we know – you know, going through the Russell Okun experience, what what kind of derailing that a good holding pen, a, a well timed holding penalty can do for the offense? It's not very good, but Garrett Bowles held it in check yesterday. Obviously, the injury is not a not a good thing, but you know, I think given what we saw on the field and 
and how he looked after that injury. Yeah. I think a bone bruise is probably better than the best case scenario from what I was thinking. My immediate reaction was, well, if a guy's crying, it has to be right. like an ACL. Or I think then we saw the location of the injury. You think, well, maybe it's an Achilles, both of which would probably keep him out until, you know, the spring, which is it's such a – that would have been such a bummer for an emotional guy getting picked in the first round and, and really starting off the season well and seeing how the, the Broncos' offense looked with a capable left tackle. But Barber filled in nicely. I know Stevenson probably got a couple of reps too. Um, I think immediately after the injury, I'll have to check in on that. But no, I think you're right. Yeah, Barber. You know, we saw we saw what kind of value that trade has now because he's such a versatile guy, and you can move him over from guard and tackle. And I think he probably plays right tackle as well. And maybe we talked about it last week, but maybe they explore that at some. Uh, yeah at some point in time and you think that might be an option considering how well Connor McGovern played yesterday too if you go back and look at that 23 yard touchdown run from uh from CJ Anderson that was basically Barber and McGovern clearing the path for him so uh, all in all it's really encouraging and I think as long as whoever plays left tackle I think it'll be Barber but if they can hold it down for the next couple of weeks and then go through the bye and then get Garrett Bowles back for for week six it would be yep they're in pretty good shape, especially given uh, what happened last season. Yeah, and Vance Joseph talked about after the game, reminding everybody that you know most of Alan Barber's experience in the NFL, most of his snaps have come as a tackle, mostly at right tackle. So you know the Broncos are in pretty good shape that way. Um, and who knows, maybe what you'll end up seeing is is Alan Barber playing left tackle and Donald Stevenson supplanting. Manalik Watson if the woes continue there on the right side. But we still have a lot to get to. Um, But first, we want to once again say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, real lines, real totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as, of course, college sports, and compete for great prizes courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. Unlike most betting services, MyBookie.net is a completely free site that allows you to make daily predictions and bets and win Real prizes at no cost. MyBookie is not a gambling or play-for-money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games, predicting scores, and competing for free prizes without risking any money. Just like office pick'em contests, fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It is fun for no cost you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes. Again, the service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to MyBookie.net for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, so on Victory Monday, the national media was asking themselves, what happened to Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott? Broncos inside linebacker Brandon Marshall tweeted the most appropriate response, saying, quote, the Broncos' defense happened, close quote. 
I couldn't have said it better myself. This game was not about what Dallas didn't do. It was about what the Broncos' defense did. They absolutely shut down Dallas' run game and made guys like Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, and Zach Martin look pedestrian. The Bronco front seven played absolutely out of their minds, and we knew going into this game that uh, Denver's goal was to basically control the clock, stop the run, and then put the onus on Prescott to win from the pocket, which is easier said than done. But they executed it to perfection. Elliott was held to eight yards on nine carries. Let that sink in. As a team, Dallas finished with just 40 rushing yards, and 24 of them came from Prescott. Nobody, we talked about this earlier, and I mean nobody, including both of us, expected such a display of dominance from the Broncos' front seven against the run. The defense was complemented greatly, as we talked about earlier, of course, by the offense's ability to sustain drives and put points on the board. Simeon and company put 35 of Denver's 42 points on the board, which forced the Cowboys out of their comfort zone and into a pass-first approach. I thought it was interesting, Will. The Cowboys came out on their opening possession in the shotgun. They ran empty look, um, passed on two of their first three plays like they were trying to get into the uh, into the Broncos' heads. That was exactly what Joe Woods wanted. He'll take his secondary against any team in the league any day and all day long. Dallas's game plan was mystifying, and their execution was just putrid. Denver out-physicaled them. There's that word again. Across the board. Mm. And what a fitting way to end the game. Aqib Tlaib gets the 10th pick six of his career, returns 103 yards to the house. Chris Harris Jr. gets his beak in on the action, picking off Prescott earlier in the game. And for what it's worth, check this out. Prescott finished 30 of 50, 238 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He was sacked twice, both by Von Miller, who ended his five-game sack drought. I mean, Will, with the Broncos playing such complimentary football, and executing at such a high level on really in all three phases, they're going to be very hard to beat this year. Yeah, no, especially when they set out a plan like they did yesterday and they basically execute it to perfection. And, you know, I think what Dallas was trying to do by going out of that shotgun was they knew that they had to get the lead first and they had to take the crowd out of it and they had to make uh, or they had to, to keep those pass rushers for the Broncos guessing and they just couldn't do it. But a lot of people pointed, and Jason Garrett included, pointed to Dak Prescott as the problem for the Cowboys yesterday, but I don't think he was the problem at all. He could run the ball, and a lot of that is circumstantial, of course, with a with a multiple touchdown lead or a multiple touchdown deficit in the case of Dallas for a lot of the game yesterday. But you know, you don't you don't want Dak Prescott throwing the ball fifty times a game. That's not a slight to him, but you wouldn't want Trevor Simeon throwing the ball fifty times a game either. And they're both good young quarterbacks, but you know, I don't think a second year, second year or third year quarterback is necessarily built to carry an entire offense, especially with the resources that they put in their offensive line. Yep, absolutely. For all the talk of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa and you know the Justin Houston's and D Fords, it was Von Miller and Shaq Barrett who are actually out in front as the best edge rushing duo, not only in the AFC West but in the NFL. Vaughn tallied 12 total QB pressures while Barrett chipped in nine. Vaughn led the league in pressures this week, according to my guy at PFF, while Barrett finished second. But what makes him so great is the fact that, you know, they're not one-trick ponies. Both guys can do more than rush the passer. Miller and Barrett were both instrumental in stopping Zeke Elliott, setting the edge, 
funneling him back into the warm embrace of guys like Derek Wolf, Damata Pecco, and Adam Gotsis, all three of whom played lights out. And I'll admit, I was a little irritated by Miller's five-game sack drought, but he proved yet again what type of game wrecker he can be. And if Barrett keeps up this level of play, Shane Ray's going to be rotating in off the bench when he returns, Will. Yeah, I think at this point it's it's pretty hard to justify taking Shaq off of the field. Obviously because he's been rushing the passer so well, but I think he is actually a better run defender than Shane Ray at this point. So I think what you would probably do is, and of course that's no slight to Shane Ray. He's a really, really good football player. And I think obviously the LA philosophy is the more pass rushers you have, the better. Yeah. So I think you'd still kind of ease him in. Uh, back from his injury and play Barrett uh, maybe 60 or 70% of the snaps and kind of put in Shane Ray situationally on third and longs or they're really just third downs where it's a, a pretty obvious passing situation because, you know, I think Shane, Shane Ray's, I was about to say Shane Barrett, but <laughs> actually not a person. It probably would be a, a pretty good pass rusher if you yes, combine them would. both, I think. But Shane Ray has been known to overrun plays a little bit. But I think if you you kind of reel him in and then let him loose on those obvious passing downs, especially against like pocket quarterbacks that aren't really a threat to take off and run, yeah. he's a really, really good asset to have. And that just makes the Broncos stronger, getting that, that Miller, Barrett, and then uh, Shane Ray trio coming after the quarterback. I, I think that's pretty impossible to defend. Yeah, and Shane Ray will be a blessed addition after basically Demarcus Walker, the rookie second rounder, and Kasim Etabali being so ineffectual as edge rushers. Now, granted, I was watching Demarcus Walker, and he was basically going against uh, arguably the best left tackle in football in Tyron Smith. I don't personally think he's the best. I like Trent Williams in Washington as my number one guy, but tough matchup. But he was just absolutely impotent in terms of getting any pressure on Prescott on the snaps he received. But uh but yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens when Ray returns and how the the playing time will be split between he and Barrett. But you know what? This week, rather than risers and fallers, uh, which is a little bit more fun, I think, when you're in the preseason, in season, I thought we'd switch things up a bit and each of us hand out our game balls, three game balls each. Will you start us off? Which guys get your game balls in week two? All right, so I'm going to start it off with Emmanuel Sanders, and it's pretty obvious because he had six catches and I think something around like 60 yards and then, of course, the two touchdowns. But I think he had a little bit of a frustrating start, and Emmanuel Sanders is, has been known to be a guy that starts seasons a little bit slowly and then picks it up. So I think him picking up a couple touchdowns by week two is a really good sign. Second, I'm going to go with Adam Gotsis. Really surprised everybody with how how well he played against the Chargers. And then he carried it over against such a good interior, or maybe not interior, but overall Cowboys line. Oh, and yeah. think about the guys that he's going against with, you know, Chaz Green is kind of improving. He was the he was the replacement for Ronald Leary at left guard. So probably kind of a question mark, but it makes things easy when you have guys like Tra- Travis Frederick at center and then Zach Martin over at right guard. But that, that's a pretty stout interior offensive line that him and, and Pecco and Wolf are really getting the best of yesterday. So right. just for just for keeping up how well he was doing against the Chargers and then, and then carrying that over to one of the best offensive lines in, in the NFL, got to give a game ball to Adam Gotsis. And then third, keep to leap. Mm-hmm. 
matched up well with Des Bryant the whole game. I know he gave up that that touchdown, but you know that was a little five yard fade route. It's and hard to off. defend against. Pretty clear push off, honestly, yeah. from from Des there. Yeah, there's some questionable calls, including that that toe tapping catch, and I put catch in quotation marks <laughs> on the sideline before halftime that led to that field goal by by the Cowboys. But overall, if you if you can hold Des Bryant to I don't I don't know what the final score or final stat line was, but about 80 yards, and he really was their number one target yesterday. I think that's a pretty good job. Not to mention picking off a pass from three yards deep in your own end zone and kind of just casually running it back for a touchdown. <laughs> right. Tell, tells Cole Beasley, get off me at about the 30-yard line. And then he, he could have just run straight. And then it, it kind of looked like he was just toying with Dak Prescott. Like, am I going to get? Am I going straight? Am I going to cut back? Am I going to run right through you? Eventually cuts it back and then takes it back for his 10th career touchdown – or his 10th career pick six, right. which I, I should mention is one more – than a Hall of Fame cornerback named Deion Sanders. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for the uh, Ben Watson uh, to come trucking, the Ben Watson of the Cowboys, whoever that might have been, I guess. Maybe Probably Jason, Jason Witten. Jason Witten to come trucking out of nowhere. Although he's too slow. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the <laughs> same wheels as Watson did. Definitely not Ezekiel Elliott, given uh, what we saw in that Chris Harris interception. That's right. But, no, solid, solid three-game balls. For me, I'm going to go with Trevor Simeon just handling business converting on third down, converting in the red zone, just keeping things rolling for the Broncos. Hats off to him. My second guy would be C.J. Anderson, who's off to another great start. You know, last year he got off to a good start before he got hurt in Week 7 against the Texans. Hopefully this time around, knock on wood, you know, he can keep the injury bug at bay and uh, stay on the field because he is the engine right now that is driving the offense and allowing Trevor Simeon and uh, the receivers to get in such a groove, and Mike McCoy to, to stay in the zone as a play caller. So hats off to C.J. Anderson. And then finally, I'm going to tip my hat again to Vaughn Miller because I did give him a little bit of grief in the days leading up to this game. Again, that five-game drought was kind of sticking in my craw. And I made a video about the subject uh, the day before the game. And in the, you know, I pointed out the situation. I talked about why he has, he's gone five games and getting double and triple teamed and all that. Uh, but wanting to see him get home and ultimately still having faith in the dude that he could be the game wrecker that he is, and he, and he came through big time. So hats off to all six of those guys, Will's three, my three. And you know what? It's been a few weeks since we answered your question, so let's take a, uh, one or two from the Mile High Mailbag. We are your football priests here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we always enjoy engaging with you, our listeners. Today's first question comes uh, from Mike Middleton. He asks, hard not to gush positivity, but one area of concern. Trevor Simeon seems to not see some open receivers leaving big plays on the field. Thoughts? Now, Will, there were a few big plays, one or two, uh, early on that, that Simeon left out on the field. But after he got his cut-ups on the sideline, and I think saw some of uh, you know where where he left that stuff on the field. He seemed to get back on track, and that's really the only thing missing, I think, from his stat line. If you look at where he's at through two weeks, is just the yardage that you get from some of the bigger plays downfield. He's got the touchdowns, he's got the completion percentage, he's got the QB rating. Now he just needs to start hitting on some of those bigger plays and uh, get his his yardage up. But the Broncos, as an offense, had several 20-plus yard plays. You know, so you, it's hard to complain too much. But Simeon, despite his league-leading six touchdown passes at this point, has yet to eclipse that 300-yard mark. 
Yeah, I think that's okay. And I'm not concerned because the Broncos are, are still adding 140 yards on the ground in week one and then something like 170 yards uh, yesterday. But it happens when you miss guys down the field. He's not Peyton Manning where he's going to cycle through all five options and then cycle back a second time and then finally find his guy. But he, he's seeing the field a lot better than he was last year. So I, th- I think you have to give him a, a break, especially when he's putting up four touchdown games in the meantime. And right. it'll pick up and, and he'll start seeing those guys. And, you know, I think it's a, it's encouraging to know that he's playing really, really well right now. And he, he's got six touchdown passes and his quarterback ratings through the roof. And there's still things that he's not doing perfectly. So yep. it just shows that there's room to grow and, and hopefully he improves on those things. Second question comes from Gabe Hawkins on Twitter, at Gabe Hawkins, H-W-K-N-S. Gabe's question, do you think they can continue to have success in the run game like they did against Dallas? Even without Garrett Bowles at left tackle for a time, my answer is yes. We know he's going to miss at least two games. They'll be tested more arduously on the road this week in Buffalo, but I think Denver's production here is a combination of things. Great play calling an O-line really coalescing and coming together and just excellent execution by the running back, uh, running backs, I should say. And I've seen nothing really, Will, that would lead me to believe at this point it's going to change, but it still is early. So maybe we should mitigate some of our expectations a little bit. Right. And so I would say that them continuing at this pace is kind of contingent on three things. And first one, obviously, is the health of C.J. Anderson. Uh, we'll knock on wood for a second time, but as long as he stays healthy, they're going to keep up. Maybe not at this pace, but they're, they should be pretty potent on the ground, um, all things considered. And then you have to give credit to a couple of guys. First of all, that's got to be Ron Leary at right guard because he's getting such a great push. And it's not just his pass protection, but he's really clearing out a lot of lanes in the run game, uh, along with guys on, on the left side like Garrett Bowles, obviously, and then um, Alan Barber at times, Matt Paradis, and then Connor McGovern when he's in. So give credit really to all those guys. And then finally, the offensive line coach, J- Jeff Davidson. Yeah. Obviously, the Broncos under Gary Kubiak ran that zone blocking scheme, which, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that either it wasn't a great fit for the players or maybe the scheme is a little bit – I don't know, outdated given how athletic uh, defensive fronts are now today in the NFL. So transitioning to a power scheme and then still incorporating a few zone uh, elements in their in their run game. I think that's a, a great job by Jeff Davidson and it's really paying off so far. So I think as long as, you know, Anderson's healthy, those offensive linemen are still performing and then you've got Jeff Davidson on the sideline, I, I think things are going to keep up to some extent. Amen. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Now, before we get out of here, we also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Get over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. This is an app that I use on a daily basis. I used it today while I was doing some stuff around the house. Remember, you get a free book and then 30 days to listen to that book as a trial. Uh, and if you don't like it, you get to cancel. And what I'm telling you, though, is if you give it a shot, not only are you supporting our show and allowing us by patronizing our sponsors to continue to do what we do, but you're going to dig the service and you're going to choose to keep your membership. It's awesome. I love Audible. It allows us to turn the pages on the books that we don't always have time to 
as uh, you know, really reading the books by actually listening to them. So audibletrial.com slash huddle up. And that's all the time we have for today. Uh, there was a few questions in the mailbag we couldn't get to, so apologies. We, we love you guys. Bear with us. Hopefully we'll have a little bit more time next week. You can always hit those questions up to uh, Nick and to Carl in the preview episode that's going to drop on Thursday. But you can find Will in the Twitterverse at WillKey6, myself at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions. As always, we'll try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.